This is The Uprising, starring Steve Alquist. I'm your host, Greg Brailsford. Today, we talk public transportation with organizer Liza Birkin. Steve, welcome to the show. Hey, Greg, how you doing? Huh. Great today. I think this subject's going to be amazing, by the way. When you say public transportation, some people's eyes just go, huh? Because they're talking Ripley, they're talking buses. But we're talking about way more than that. We're yeah, this is about... not going to be a boring episode. Do not tune out. No, no. We're, this. we're talking about, like, transportation on all levels like you know how what our highways are doing for us what our um buses bikes cars parking i think we can cover a lot of stuff here so we're going to really think about through what transportation is and what it looks like in the future and liza birkin with the providence streets coalition is really good on all these issues and we really want to hear what she has to say and we also have to think there's a huge bond yes on four which we're going to be taking up in the state very very soon some of us have may have already voted for or against it, but we're going to talk about what that bond is, how important it may or may not be, and what it does to our transportation infrastructure throughout all of Rhode Island. So yeah. it's a really and, cool issue. And, and if you if you leave your house, if you go places after you leave your house, then you want to listen to Liza because uh, obviously use transportation, whether it's in your car, whether it's the busing system, whether it's uh, whether you drive on the highways. We have a lot of stuff to talk about here. Our first guest here is an organizer with the Providence Streets Coalition. Liza Birkin's here to talk transportation with us, and we're really excited to have her. Liza, how are you? I'm doing well. Same here, obviously. Uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, what I wanted you on to talk about was the yes on four question about the transportation uh, bond, about whether or not we should be voting for this transportation bond. Now, normally, I think bonds are really important and really good. I think they're stimulative. They bring money, you know, much needed money into the economy. They put money into people's pockets, workers benefit. Uh, we build infrastructure and we all benefit from better infrastructure. But this year, this bond, some people have a different view. And I was wanted you on so you could talk about that different view and maybe explain some of the reasoning behind what why this bond might not be all it's cracked up to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I want to acknowledge right off the bat that um, Unlike in some previous years or um, for a lot of the other bond questions um, on this ballot, um, a lot of these, these projects are already underway. Um, and, the, and this money that we're asking the voters to approve borrowing um, is the 20% match of, um, is the 20% match that the state has to pay in order to receive 80% of the money from the federal government. And that's how things have always worked um, uh, for the past, you know, since the 1950s, um, the U.S. DOT has had this policy of funding roads and, high, and, and highways, building highways, expanding highways at this 80-20% match in a way that makes it really tough for states to say no um, and, and to continue this growth of, of our road system and our highway system in a way that we're just now finally waking up to um, has been incredibly harmful to our environment, to our communities, to our cities. Um, and so we see this, we see this uh, bond question as an opportunity to finally start talking about the harms that are caused by highways and highway expansion in particular. Um, so a lot of these projects are highway expansion projects. Um, there is a train station project, but it's only 3% of the, <laughs> of the total money. Um, and, and if there's one thing that listeners, I would just want you to, uh, get from this call, it's that highway expansion doesn't work. It does not solve traffic congestion. 
there's this concept called induced demand. It's kind of a wonky term, but please look it up, induced demand. And basically, it, it, it is this proven, proven theory um, that, that details how traffic is like a gas, and it expands to whatever container it's in. So our state, you know, like just like every state in the union, is paying millions of tens of millions of dollars to expand, to add lanes to our highways. And in a couple of years, the traffic will fill up those lanes. It just doesn't work. It is a waste of money. That is our primary concern. It's a waste of money. Um, and then, in, and then in addition, you know, those high, those highways for the time being, you know, we're in this mid, the middle of, or the very, very, very early stages of this transition to electric vehicles and to uh, a cleaner transportation system. But for now, and some people think for always, the roads and the highways specifically are fossil fuel infrastructure. Like it's the same as a pipeline. It's the same as a power plant. It's, it's um, expanding this harmful infrastructure and committing our state to 50 more years of this auto dominant driving first um, system. Yeah. And, and, and we're, we probably already seen this in California. You had talked about the, uh, you know, however many lanes, for example, on the highway, cars are just going to keep expanding to, to fit that role. And I think California must be a, a extreme example of that because I mean, the highways there have what, five, five, six lanes in every direction. It's, it's crazy. And it just Absolutely. keeps getting and they're worse. Full all the time. Like this, this expansion does, does not work. They're, they're going to pay off. Yeah. Spend all this money and, and maybe it works for a year or two, maybe three. And then all of a sudden, uh, we will fill up the lanes with the traffic. That, that is just what happens. We've we've seen this studied over and over. Um, so it's very frustrating to see this kind of these kind of projects still on the docket. Well, okay. So shortly after these bonds were announced, um, I was thinking about the transportation bond in terms of what's going on with the money from a previous bond in 2014, where yeah. the people voted to uh, improve public transportation infrastructure. Right, basically RIPTA. And they dedicated a bunch of money to that. Last year, the Romano administration and director of the DOT, Department of Transportation's uh, Peter Alvidi, announced that they were going to use that money to make Kennedy Plaza less convenient for drivers. I mean, for riders. And they were also now um, that money. That money is being used in such a way that um, has been labeled racist and is now the subject of a Title VI civil rights action. Um, should we trust DOT with that much more money, considering the way they used the money in the past? Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> um, RIDOT has proven to us, to this community over and over, um, that they don't let that they're unaccountable to community voices and they misuse funds. They, they, blat they blatantly misuse the funds. Um, the transit dollars, this Kennedy Plaza is only the latest example. Um, of how they're misusing bond funds. Uh, you know, also um, in 2019, they, you, some people might remember uh, the bicycle and pedestrian communities fight over their major amendment 11 and then uh, major amendment 19 of the STIP where they actually succeeded in taking tens of millions of dollars for the, from their transportation alternative fund, which was, which, which was, um, funded by a green economy bond, the same, the same green economy bond that we're seeing um, yes on two this time. So funds for transportation alternative projects were, were taken from that fund to and put towards highways and bridges. Um, so they, they have this proven track record of misusing their bond funds. 
being completely unaccountable to the community and and just not listening, not definitely not drawing the connections between racial justice and transportation and climate change and transportation that we're finally starting to see on the federal level and in cities all around the country. And uh, it's time for them to catch up. (laughs) Right. I was, after I did that tweet, I got a little bit of pushback, well, a lot of pushback from some people in the building trades, specifically the carpenters Mm -hmm. this time, but talking about basically saying this money is going to bring a lot of jobs and a lot of money to Rhode Island. It's also going to um, employ people. If you think about the 8% from the federal government, we're talking about five times as much money as we invest. Like every dollar we invest is $5 in our local economy, or at least in our local infrastructure and in people we're paying to build these roads. So what do we offer the building trades and workers as an alternative to this? What, what, kind of, what kind of things could we be building and what could we be doing with the same money? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said at the top, these projects are already underway and people can vote on this question you know, with their conscience it, we see this as an, well, because, because RIDOT has no opportunity for community engagement ever, right. this is one of our only chances to talk about these issues on a, on, you know, on a, on a bigger platform. And so uh, we see this mostly as a symbolic vote of no confidence in RIDOT as, an, as a department, as an agency. Um, <clears throat> but there are, you know, this is a national conversation. Um, finally, you know, we, at the federal level, we just had, our USDOT director was for the past four years was Mitch McConnell's wife. And now we have somebody who is a celebrity going around on every talk show um, imaginable talking about how roads are for people, um, not only for drivers, finally drawing these really um, macro connections between um, transportation and climate change and racial justice and all the things, and the, you know, talking about all, all the things that our communities have been talking about for years and years finally is becoming mainstream. And so, and part of that is this just is what we need, a just transition. Um, and so, you know, on day one, the Biden administration canceled the Keystone pipeline, mm-hmm. they, it, which is going to cost some jobs. Um, so it's all part of this larger conversation of how to transition jobs from harmful projects to good projects. Um, and the Climate Jobs RI Coalition is, is leading the fight here in Rhode Island. I'm so excited about that. Um, you know, obviously those things are not going to happen overnight. And, 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 the, and the devil is in the details of how do we make sure that folks um, who are involved in these road construction jobs uh, don't, don't lose their income. Um, it's very important. So like I said, people can vote on this, on this bond how they, how they see fit. Um, but it's for me, it's an opportunity to raise the issues of how harmful the projects are that are part of this that are part of this bond and how we need to start. This this should be the last time. This should be the last time that we see a highway expansion uh, project on on a up for a voter approval like this. Um, it really needs to stop now. Interesting, Liza. We um, a couple of weeks ago we have started an ongoing ser- series uh, called Fight Back, where basically we're helping people, you know, fight traffic tickets and stuff like that. And we partnered up, I shouldn't say partnered up, but uh, they've been helpful in providing information for us, uh, the National Motorist Association. Now, obviously, uh, I'm pretty familiar with the work they do, uh, some of the work being good work, I think, you know, helping people fight tickets and and getting out of situations that I think are unfair to motorists. But uh, obviously, they get a lot of flack for being opposed to Vision Zero programs and things like that. What's your take on an organization like the NMA? I'm, I'm genuinely curious. Um, honestly, I'm not very familiar with NMA. Um, I think that we have this 
a real problem of of car dependency um, in this country that harms people in many, many different ways. Um, all you need to do is watch Judge DiCaprio's show here in here in, in Rhode Island to see how many people are being are 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 like can spiral into economic ruin um, because of traffic violations and parking tickets and all of these things um, that folks just can't afford. Um, and all of it stems from this dependency on cars. And so it's all part of this larger system of, of, of needing to provide alternatives for folks to get around. Cleaner alternatives, easier alternatives, free, free alternatives um, to just getting where you need to go. And that's you raised a good point there. I just thought of something. Um, so uh, obviously, municipalities, states, governments um, depend on usage taxes, I guess you could say, you know, the gas tax things like that. Mm -hmm. And as EVs become popular, for example, I own an EV, so I don't pay the gas tax anymore. And eventually that's yeah. going to catch up with uh, all these all these government agencies when nobody's paying the gas tax. So what kind of uh, what kind of, you know, um, um, replacements for that tax revenue have you thought of? Or do you think that governments are going to enact that actually makes sense to kind of replace that lost revenue? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, as we transition to electric vehicles, the gas taxes are going to get lower and lower. Um, so it's 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 a real problem. I mean, it's one that folks that they have not had an answer to. That's why we are borrowing this money instead of just paying for, instead of allocating it in our budget. Like we shouldn't. The other thing about this bond is that they a lot of the projects are this is mostly maintenance, um, and you're not allowed to borrow for maintenance. But they 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 snuck in just a just a enough um, you know safety improvements and and capital improvements in order to uh, to to borrow the money instead of just have to fund it in our in our budget and, and we have final like for the past I think about ten years um, I have to correct me on that uh, we did move away from borrowing for this twenty percent match and now we're back to it and because of the COVID crisis and this and this loss of revenue. Um, but the fact is that these projects, these highway expansion projects, are just so expensive. Like we cannot afford them, and they're and they're so short. The mileage that we're talking about, like the Henderson Bridge project, like eighty-eight million dollars for that project for a mile of road, right? Like wow. it's crazy. Um, we're talking, and and meanwhile, we have this like bike mobility plan for the first time um, in in our state's history. We actually have a statewide plan for a state bike wide bikeway system. The entire thing would only cost about three, three hundred, four million, four, three hundred to four hundred million dollars. Right. So the the price tag for for like for hundreds of miles of bikeways, right? So the price tags for these highway extension projects are just ridiculous, and they set us up for more maintenance. Um, every time we expand our roadways, we have to then maintain them. So it's we're just borrowing against our own future here and creating a more and more unsustainable system for, for ourselves. And how do we fund it? Nobody really has a good answer. Um, I think in, in states that, that have uh, medical, that have recreational cannabis, they've, I believe they've been able to put some of that tax revenue into roads and schools, um, something I would love to see here. Um, and as well in Massachusetts, they had proposed a millionaire's tax for many, many years. Um, and that that proposal would earmark those funds specifically for schools and roads. So we actually really have to come up with new funding systems. But we need to be shrinking our systems, not expanding them because we can't afford it. Uh, all right. Well, one last question. We'll, then we'll let you go. And thank you for being on. 
recently, Tom Segoros wrote a piece for Uprise Rhode Island talking about the idea of taking down the highway in Providence, basically eliminating yeah. 95 altogether from basically, I guess, the Cranston line to the Tucket line. People wanting to get to Boston would drive 295. People wanting to get yep. to Providence would come up to 95 and then would turn into city streets, you know, boulevards. Yep. I thought that was a real out-of-the-box thinking. I thought it was, you know, at first you go, wow, that sounds insane. And then you think about it, you're like, no, actually, that sounds really nice. And as opportunities for development, taking all yep. that down, reconnecting neighborhoods, buildings would be able to go up, roads would be able to go up there. All sorts of new bits of city could be created along that hugely long corridor of uh, stuff. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Our, the, the, the other thing about, about the car infrastructure, and when I say car infrastructure, I mean highways and parking, um, is that it's so unproductive. It is incredibly low co- low return on investment use of land. Um, we have up to, in this country, like most cities reserve about 30% of their land use for parking. Um, there's like eight parking spaces for every car because you can, because we as Americans expect to be able to park for free in all the places that we drive to. And it's, we could be building housing on that land. We could be building parks. We could be building businesses. Um, schools, you know, things that things that would actually raise our tax base, raise our, you know, um, increase our economy. So it's just a, it's an incredibly wasteful use of land. Um, not to mention, then there's the the public health crisis that that has resulted um, as from all the tailpipe emissions through our right. cities, um, and and we know that 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 the burden of that falls on on our um, most vulnerable populations. And so yeah, I think these these out of the box ideas. First of all, they're not that out of the box. Yeah. Secretary Buttigieg is talking about this. They're talking about that, and it has happened in other in other cities. A lot of urban highway highway removal is happening. It is happening. So it's really not that far out of the box. Um, as a as an aside, somebody told me along the way somewhere that this was an this that this was a pet vision of Buddy Cianci to build a deck over 95 and have a bunch of parkland. So these ideas are not out of the box. They've been in circulation for a long time. Um, yeah. Of course, we've seen Boston do the big dig um, and and seen what ha- what has happened with that with the Rose Kennedy Greenway um, bringing so much life to downtown Boston where they used to have these elevated highways. So um, so yeah, it's all about transitioning from these tired old ways backwards um, and harmful highway expansion projects into into like undoing um, these harms and stitching our communities back together in clean and and equitable ways and the thing is for labor like there is so much work to do mountains of work to do the 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 mistakes of the 20th century will take another century (laughs) to correct Um, and and that's going to mean a ton of work. And so for this question, I just hope that people really start considering um, considering these things and these making these connections, again, between transportation and climate change and racial justice and an economic opportunity and um, and all of these all of these connections and 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 really digging deep and, and thinking about whether or not putting another putting another two lanes on uh, 146 is the kind of work we want our um, our state to be doing. Right. Well, thank you so much. I have one last thing. If people are interested yeah. in transportation issues and they want to get involved, where should they go? How, how should they reach out? Yeah, awesome. So there's such a strong, robust community of people um, in, in the state. Uh, we have the Rhode Island Bicycle Coalition, the Rhode Island Transit Riders, 
Uh, Grow Smart RI does an amazing job, like thinking macro level about rail and and, bu- and bus service. Um, my the organization that I that I run, the Providence Streets Coalition, uh, brings together lots of different groups um, thinking about streets in Providence. In Newport, we've got Bike Newport. There's there's lots. Um, so just get in touch with me, and I'm happy to point you to the group in in your community. They're all over the state. So. All right, we'll be sure to put your contact information when we start spreading this podcast around. Thank you so much for being on. Awesome. She thank is you, Liza please. Birkin. She is an okay, organizer with you. the Providence Streets Coalition. And you can follow her on Twitter at underscore Holy Spokes. Liza, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good day. All right. So that was a great conversation. A lot of uh, interesting information there. Yes. It's, uh, transportation is something that we sometimes miss because we're talking about things like the green economy or the green new deal or talking about workers and workers rights and building trades and we're talking about all these different issues right now all these different interconnections but if you think about like the 610 connector project that's being done right now there was a push early on from the communities around there to basically get rid of the 610 connector right to basically drop it to turn it into a boulevard turn it to something more like north main street or you know, or any of the other city streets, right? Where it would connect the community, right? We would get rid of those bridges and people could just walk from one side of the road to the other and not have to worry about it. It'd be a red light, it'd be ways to bike. They rejected that. DOT, Peter L.B., Gina Romano, all rejected that idea. And they said, we're going to rebuild the highway like it is, be even bigger and better. They started doing that. And then what happens? We bring contaminated soil into that workspace. Can you imagine that? Like they brought it in. They brought it in. And then they left it untarked, so it was blowing into the communities. Now, these are the same communities that were split by the highway system when they first introduced it way back in the 1960s or 50s or whatever. It's all part of it. And that, they, they went to these certain communities because, well, they devalued the people who live in those communities. And now we show further. No, and I'm sure no one thought, let's bring in contaminated soil and poison this community. I'm sure of that. But they didn't think not to do that. Right? They weren't double-checking. They weren't saying, hey, these people help with our line here. Let's be extra careful. I'll just say, if they had brought that same foil to the east side of Providence, I mean, to, yeah, Providence to the east side, there would be blood and right? <laughs> there would be a huge uproar because there's money there. Right. Wherever there's money, there's going to be a fight, and they don't want that fight. I mean, to say, if that came to the east side or any other rich sections of the state, Peter Albini would be out of a job immediately. You bring it to that community, and it's like, ah, oh, it's a mistake. Yeah, they'll they'll deal with it. Is what they're thinking, right? And that, and, I, and I just and I think we need to have that perspective. We should need to think if this were my kids breathing in that dust, how would I feel? But if it's a bunch of Spanish-speaking people breathing in that dust, or you know, black people by POC, we're like, eh, we gotta stop thinking that way. We have to start thinking better. We have to start building a world where we care about other people's children as much as we care about our own. And it's so important to elect by POC people because they have that perspective. And, you know, if you're a white person, you know, you can certainly empathize with these folks. But uh, without having that lived experience, you're you're not going to really understand fully what it's like to be treated like this all the time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's uh, and so we, we so we, we should be able to do better. Can we switch gears a little bit now? Yeah, let's do it. What, what do you got in mind? I was thinking about talking about a little bit about. As we close out the show, I want to talk a little bit about what happened um, at the State House this week. 
because I think some interesting stuff happened. And oh yeah, like, and you had you had some guys. If if you haven't already, follow Steve on on Twitter. We we retweet a lot of it uh, from Uprise's account, but uh, follow Steve on Twitter because he's been doing these long threads about these really interesting bills that lawmakers are introducing at the state house, and normally they kind of fly by the radar, you know, or you you know hear about the the results on Rye Rank a year later, but. Uh, I think it's really important to follow Steve uh, with these threads. So, uh, so yeah, definitely talk about that. Uh, there's been so much going on uh, this past week with all these bills flying by. Yeah, um, I've been trying. So this year, um, differently from years past, usually I, I latch onto a few bills and I say, okay, what's going on? This year, I'm really trying to track the entire movement of all the different moving parts of the state house. Possible because for the first time ever, all the committee meetings are being presented online. In the years past, subcommittee meetings like Commerce and some other groups, never you never saw what was going on, what was being said. But now we're starting to really be able to access in a very real way all the testimony from lobbyists and from people on all these different bills. This week, the Senate floor, the full Senate, passed a $15 minimum wage bill, a path to $15. It's not like $15 minimum wage is happening tomorrow or in October, but it goes up about a dollar in January of next year, and then it goes up a dollar each year until it reaches 15. So this is a positive, good thing. However, the bill they passed only does that, and it has, and it does it a dollar a year for three, four years. There was another bill that Frank Chacon, Senator Frank Chacon put in, that would have also increased tipped minimum wage and would have provided hazard pay for uh, workers, right? The pandemic showed that hazard pay was a necessity, and a lot of people were not covered during this uh, recent thing. On the floor, Senator Janine Colton got up, and she had two amendments to the legislation that passed. One legislation, one amendment would have changed the legislation so that tipped workers were included. The other amendment would have changed the legislation to provide for hazard pay under certain circumstances. Both of these amendments were blocked by the Senate. Majority Leader and the Senate President, that's Michael McCaffrey and Dominic Ruggiero, on procedural grounds. They weren't debated. They weren't discussed. They were merely blocked. And when she tried to discuss them, they said, sorry, our objection isn't debatable. Now, under those Senate rules, this is true. But when we're talking about life and death issues like this, why use a procedural issue to prevent even the discussion of this on the floor in the public where people can watch it. Right. It's com- it's totally cowardly. And normally this kind of stuff from the quote unquote, you know, Democrats, it's just hilarious to call people like McCaffrey and Ruggiero Democrats. But no, that's another story. But it's it's this stuff used to be swept under the rug and people, most people would never see it. If Steve happened to be there and be filming the committee meeting, then you might see it. But he can't film every single meeting that happens. And now you're seeing them all online and you're seeing, you know, just how, what happens. You're seeing, you know, uh, was it Chris Carlozzi, um, the lobbyist, Carlozzi. you know, repeating yep. the same tired, debunked Republican talking points that they've been using for 50 years out there? Um, you know, the good news is that uh, cities like Seattle have already debunked these $15 minimum wage uh, you know, myths that exist. So, so right. that's good. But you but people get to see it. People actually get to see now the lobbyists like coming on and, and saying they're spewing their nonsense to try and sway lawmakers to. Uh, not pass a bill that helps people. Right. And we know the economic evidence is clear. There's been gigantic number of studies that show that raising the minimum wage, especially when you're doing it in a dollar here, dollar there increments, does not adversely affect the economy, does not hurt poor people. It helps poor people, it lifts people out of poverty. And there are many, many, many lies and myths that are said by people on 
the floor of the Senate, right? So we have, and they believe the things they hear from Christopher Carlosi, who works for the National Federation of Independent Businesses, a right-wing group, Coke brother sponsored group, right? right. I mean, it, it is literally as right-wing as you can get. And they will say and do anything to hold on to their profits, not realizing, of course, or maybe do realizing that in raising the minimum wage, everybody benefits. Of course. More money in the economy means there's more thinking. money out there to grab. Long-term thinking. And these business groups do not do long-term thinking. I mean, conservative groups in general do not do long-term thinking. They do thinking of the moment. So is it profitable right now? Then that's what I'm going to do. Even if it's devastating in the future, you know, for example, if, if, if Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and, and Bill Gates and everyone have all the money, okay, which is kind of the direction it's gone in, where these billionaires have all the money, okay, guess what? Guess what? Nobody can buy your product. If, if nobody, if the regular, you know, little people, quote unquote, have no money, they can't buy your product because Jeff Bezos has all the money. So I don't understand the fascination with creating billionaires and, and pumping up big business because it hurts everybody. You know, we went over this last week. You know, I, I talked about how as a business owner, I don't create jobs. The people that buy from me create jobs. And if the people that buy from me don't have money, to buy anything, then there's no jobs. And I don't stay in business. My employees don't have a job and everyone suffers. When you raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, $18 an hour, $20 an hour, whatever, okay? What these business owners don't understand is that unlike them, these people that get paid minimum wage are not saving the money, mm -hmm. they're spending it. It's That's going right. right back into the economy, you know, to buy your stuff. So you're paying them more but if everyone else is doing the same thing, which is what a minimum wage is, the purpose is, everyone's on, a, on equal ground, you have to pay them a certain uh, amount of money, then the whole economy grows and everyone has more money and they're going to spend it on your stuff. And it just blows my mind that, that these business owners, these MBAs, these Harvard grads don't understand basic fundamentals here of how an economy works. Uh, my favorite anti-minimum wage myth that is often said and was repeated in a different form on the Senate floor by Senator Paolino. Senator Paolino gets up and says, if this passes, I think, he said, I think, didn't, he didn't know, he didn't present any evidence for this, one in 13 jobs in Rhode Island will be lost. And we're going to see more self-serve checkouts, basically automation, replacing employees at different jobs. The self-serve checkout, or what I like to say is the threat of robots, is the biggest lie being told in a lot of ways. And in fact, they're pulling back from it. Although Christopher Carlosi said this in a committee meeting, not, a, not even like a year or two ago, automation is happening. It is, has been happening all our lives. It's been happening since the industrial revolution began. It's been happening since people invented fire, right? <laughs> better ways to do it. You know, the guy who's rubbing two sticks together, someone comes up with a flint and says, I got a better way. He says, yeah, but what about my job of rubbing two sticks together? Right? You're putting me out of business here. Right, automation um, invention has been happening since the beginning of time, and it's always happening, and we're always automating. It hasn't affected jobs, and in fact, think about this: people's productivity is going up, 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 up. Right, the individual person works. Some people are working three jobs, three low-paying jobs. If each person working one of those three low-paying jobs was replaced by a robot, there would still be robot, <laughs> robot maintenance jobs. There would be other jobs. Also, think about this. If you're really worried about automation, don't use self-checkout aisles. Yes. Right? Yes. Go to a person. It might take a little bit longer. People might be a little bit less efficient. But if you really hate the idea of robots taking over the world, fight the robots now. 
when you go to a bank, maybe don't use the teller, go inside, talk to a teller, do your banking there. You know, it's there's convenience in the world, but, you know, we can fight back against this a little bit by insisting that we want people. Can you imagine going into a restaurant and having a robot server come up to you and then you say, oh, I'd like A1 sauce. And the robot's like, what is A1 sauce? <laughs> right. you, we speak and talk to each other. Robots can't do that. When you try to figure out what kind of bananas you're buying, and there are two different bananas in the self-checkout aisle, you have to call a person over who comes over and says, oh, wait a minute, that's this good. Maybe check it, they put it in for you. There's a person at every one of those robots stands. Maybe he's covering five of them, but there's a person there because robots can't do the job. And at one point when robots can't do the job, we're just going to have to start taxing robots and providing more care for the people in the world. So we'll talk about that later, but that's a whole other issue. But I just want to get back to the robot thing because I hear it and I'm like, it's such a childish fear of the future type of position to hold. People deserve a living wage. If, you're, if you have a business that depends on paying people under a living wage, you don't have a business plan, you have an exploitation plan. That's exactly what it is. Exactly what it is. If you, you know, you're complaining about being able to afford a $15 minimum wage, if you're one of the few businesses paying your employees under $15, uh, it, it, is, it is time to look at your business plan and say, you know, if I can't afford to pay these people $15 an hour and make a profit, a good profit, then you, you don't have a valid business plan. You know, you're in business. I mean, sure, anyone can start a business and, and pay people an exploitation wage and call it a business, but it's not. And you're not going to grow and you're going to eventually fail. You know, you have to have, you have to raise your margins enough to be able to afford this sort of thing. And, and to touch on the robot thing, it's funny you mentioned that. I've seen videos online of uh, advertising for a, basically a robotic burger flipper. It looks like a, a car, like you'd see, uh, like a robot you'd see in car manufacturing, mm -hmm. except it flips burgers. And, you know, I've seen this pitched for at least a year now. And to my knowledge, no restaurants, no chain restaurants use this. Um, I, there could be many logistical reasons why that's the case. But the bottom line is that people like to deal with people in many cases. Now, obviously, there's certain things where you don't care to deal with a person. Pumping gas, I don't need to deal with a person to pump gas. It's just gas. But, you know, at the grocery store, uh, and that's another thing too, you lefties. Listen, if you're going to be a lefty, if you're going to talk the lefty game online, then that means when you're offline, you have to be one too. And so if you have a choice between uh, automatic checkout, um, you know, self-checkout, I should say, and uh, going to uh, uh, a checkout person, you know, a human being, and, you know, the line for the human being is not long, get in the human being line, you know, it, it, talk to someone, you know, let them, let you know you appreciate the fact that they have that job there. Uh, self-checkout stinks, in my opinion. I've used it, I use it at Lowe's sometimes because they don't really have a lot of, of aisles open. I only have one thing. Um, I try to use, if there's a person I see them, I'll go to that person. But it's sometimes, you know, the, the checkout, um, if you're getting one thing, it's, it's not the end of the world. And every, it almost seems like every time I go there, it ends up beeping the little light thing where a person has to come over yeah. anyway. So what are, what are we doing here? What's the point? You know, and I get so aggravated, I stopped using it for a very long time. I said, there's no point. I might as well stand in line and wait because the thing is only going to have a problem and have to call over a person anyway. And, uh, you know, I guess they've, they've kind of fixed that a little bit. I know stop and shop, it used to be really bad. You'd use the self-checkout and every little thing you bought would have, you know, require a manager's approval and stuff. So that kind of defeated the purpose. But I haven't seen that too much lately. But then again, I don't use the self-checkout yeah. very often. So. But it's just a, it's just a, a peeve of mine. Uh, the robots. Think about this. We replaced every single worker in the world with a robot. And it was nothing for any of us to do. Who's going to buy the products, right? I mean, basically, robots taking over the world is the end of capitalism. 
the end of the world, right? At least if the, of any kind of economic system we understand. There'll be a new economic system in this case. Maybe that will be better. Maybe it'll be worse. I don't know. But robots are not the solution. People having good paying jobs is the solution. So let's move on that. That's pretty much all I have to say. Yeah. And when you when you hear politicians like uh, Mr. Paolino, you know, use the fear mongering, you know, and lobbyists like Mr. Carlozzi use the the fear mongering. You've got to wonder everything they're saying, if if it comes to fruition, seems to be beneficial to their business uh, members. So then why don't you guys just do all this stuff now? If it's so, you know, this is going to happen, if, if automation is going to happen, if, you know, raises wages go up a dollar or two dollars an hour or whatever it is, why don't you just why don't you just do all this stuff? Yeah. If if one in third, what do you say, one in 13 jobs is going to be lost to automation? Wouldn't that be like really profitable and awesome for you business owners? Why don't you just go ahead and do that now? Why don't you just automate everything? And I'll tell you why you don't. It's BS. Right, it's BS. BS the lie. They're lying to your face. Right. That's None of that stuff is true. Go on Uprise RI, and Steve published an article yesterday about the minimum wage meeting. And he called out, I believe, five or six points that Mr. Carlosi, the lobbyist, made about minimum wage. All of them false. Right. All of them just wildly insane claims that they just make up out of thin air. Yeah. Because that's the, that's the world we live in now, unfortunately. We live in the, the lying United States of America where everything is based on a lie. Everything is mm -hmm. just a lie. Every commercial you see on TV just lies to you about what you actually get. The government, Joe Biden comes out there and says, you're getting $2,000 checks. No, you're not. You're getting $1,400 <laughs> checks as soon as I'm elected. No, you're not. You're getting $1,400 checks, but if you make less than more, more than $75,000 a year, then you're not getting checks. Uh, no, it's even worse than that. And it just keeps going. It, it's you because know? the real world is one of compromise and difficulty, and it's not easy promises or easy claims. And let's face it, economics as a discipline is terrible. Uh, people, most of the, report, the studies we see are based on theoretical and when they do a report that's actually based on actual things that happen, like measuring the economy before and after minimum wage goes up, um, we get really different answers. Suddenly we find out, oh yeah, it wasn't really that big a deal. It was really, it was good for people. Poor people were up. Look at Seattle today, all right? So what they like to mention how Seattle, one of the first places to raise the wage to 15, was such a nightmare. Seattle's doing fine. If Rhode Island right now had the economy of Seattle, we'd be celebrating. You know, we'd be like, wow, our, our leaders are geniuses. They're, what, what is going on here? There's a reason Seattle's doing great. It doesn't all have to do with raising the minimum wage, but raising the minimum wage did not hurt them. In fact, helped them as well. Of course. Uh, and, and I agree. You know, but the, the proof is in the pudding. Yep. You look at the city now. They raised the minimum wage. All the same exact points that Mr. Carlosi brought up were brought up there. It's like they have this one document and it's just bullshit and they just circulated amongst all of them and they just put it out there because they know, listen, listen, let's be honest here. 40 plus percent of the country voted for Donald Trump under under a lie. Basically, his entire shtick is a lie. Good businessman, a lie, you know, billionaire, lie. It's all a lie. And 40 percent of the country bought it. So when folks like uh, Mr. Paolino and Mr. Carlozzi come out there and they spew this nonsense, you're going to have a large number of the electorate that's going to hear it and believe it. Yeah. And what I what I recommend, our lefty friends, our listeners mostly do not have this issue. Um, our listeners uh, and the left in general generally like look up things. You hear things, you're like, oh, that seems like it could be true. But let me let me do some research and see if that's the case. And I recommend anyone does that. If you hear something, whether it's 
uh, pro lefty, pro righty, whatever it is, go online and just and just find uh, corroborating evidence that whatever you heard is true. If you hear that minimum wage is destroying cities, go look that up and, and see if that's actually true. You know, um, I, I'm as everyone knows, I'm a lefty, but I'm a realist. You know, and if I hear a lefty say something that is not true, you know, for example, I read a report that said uh, if they raise the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour, the economy grows by four hundred percent, and that's not true. I'm gonna say that. You know, I'm not. I'm not going to come out here just because I'm in favor of $15 an hour and say, yes, all this magical stuff is true. But the bottom line is that Seattle has proven that the minimum wage being raised to $15 an hour is not an end game. Yeah, it's, and we know that from across. I just want to give a prop, real props to Janine Culkin, uh, Senator Janine Culkin, Senator Cynthia Mendes, who like really made us amazingly good defense of the minimum wage. She and, did. I saw that. That yeah, was really good. She was great. And, uh, and also... Uh, Tiara Mack, Senator Tiara Mack, who mentioned one of my favorite economists, Ben Zipperer, on the floor, saying, if you want to know about the truth about the minimum wage, Ben Zipperer is the authority on it. He's not only done studies on the minimum wage, he's done mega studies of all the studies of the minimum wage. And if you really want to know what's going on with the minimum wage and what the studies actually show, look up Ben Zipperer. It was it was a great look up the videos, too, of this hearing, because it's, it's really I mean, just hearing. Uh, Senator De La Cruz come out and yeah. basically par- uh, parrot the the same talking points that uh, lobbyist Carlozzi did, yeah. and then uh, Cynthia Mendez kiss came out and just you know bodied those arguments. Let's just call it cool. that. Uh, very very well done in an articulated way to to just crush those those tired talking points. So and also one last thing, notice that NFIB actually has FIB in the title. The National Federation of Independent Businesses literally is NFIB. I don't know what to make of that, but I just want to throw that out there. Maybe they're not telling you the truth. That's a good point. Yeah. So this concludes our show this week. Uh, if you guys have feedback about the show, we always love to hear it. You can email podcast at rifp.co. Uh, don't forget about our sister podcast, Can We Fix It? Um, she said she was going to promote us in her show last week, but did not do so. But uh, <laughs> We're nice people over here. So Maura, we're going to continue to promote you anyway. That's right. So more is on uh, Fridays at noon on Uprise RI. You can also subscribe to her on Apple Podcasts, Google, and all that other stuff, just like our show. So if you do uh, want a more convenient way to be notified when we publish new shows, besides going to Uprise RI, you can also subscribe with Apple Podcasts, your Apple Podcasts app, your Google Podcasts app. Uh, if you have Stitcher, if you have, um, what's the other one? Spotify. There's a lot out there. You can you can subscribe to our show and you can listen directly on your favorite app. So. For more information on Uprise RI, including stories we write, hey, look at that. Visit UpriseRI.com. Steve Alquist's uh, best journalist from Rhode Island for sure. Um, Steve, it's been a pleasure, as always, to uh, share the time with you. Uh, next week, we will have uh, even, even more amazing stuff to yeah. plan. We're going to introduce a couple of new features on the show, too, next week. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, that's right. Some new uh-huh. regular features that you're just going to love and we're going to have a lot of fun with. So, are we, Steve? Oh, yeah. We're going to be, they're going to be a fantastic. <laughs> I have no idea what the area. is. going to be amazing. He's lying. He definitely knows. <laughs> All right. So, uh, guys, uh, enjoy your week. Tune in next week. And we'll see you then. Take care, everyone. Bye.